Spinning the Reel, a podcast by Evan and Cody. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I am your host, Evan. And I am your other host, Cody. There you go, Cody. Some confidence in that one. I liked That's it. That's right. How are we? Uh, how are we holding up, Cody? How are you doing over there? I'm doing good, man. You know, I think we got. I got about probably another week before the ball gets rolling again. But it seems like with everything going on, I hope everyone kind of has about another week before we kind of hopefully start getting back to somewhat of a normal life. So. Yeah, that I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> but <laughs> you can hope, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah it's funny because we're doing this remotely again, as we have for the last what three episodes? This will be our third, um, including this one. So yes, and uh, it's funny because we live like what five minutes from each other, but we're uh, we're sitting here recording remotely, and it's uh it's sort of an interesting experience. What have you been uh, What have you been filling the time with? Well, speak, working from speaking, home and speaking of three, I've kind of just been obviously playing some video games here and there, mostly Animal Crossing still, and still trying to obtain that three star island. Man, it's hard. Have oh, you done it yet? Oh yeah, I got I got that um, last week on. I want to say Saturday, but I couldn't get um, what's the dog's name? It's like KK Slider, yeah. something like that. Don't rub it in. I'm 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 already over this. You have a three star island. He couldn't he couldn't show up on Sunday because of Bunny Day, <laughs> and then uh, I had to wait till Monday. Sucker. But it's cool. You um once you do that, you get like uh, the ability to build paths and stuff, and like move the river and nice. terraform and stuff like that. So cool. yeah. hang in there. You'll get there. All right. Other than that, I've. You know, there's a lot of birthdays I have uh, going on this month in terms of family and friends. My mom's was yesterday. Um, and then I got probably about six friends, I want to say, all really close friends that have, you know, between them and their significant others just having birthdays in April. So I feel like I've had a lot of Zoom mm-hmm. calls and parties to that extent, you know, Zoom parties. Are you getting uh, Zoom burnout? So mm-hmm. there's some uh, stories going around that people are getting uh, kind of burnout on being on zoom with uh with a bunch of people all the time yeah, i'm usually drinking so maybe i just you know the time goes by a little bit faster so i haven't got burnt yeah out i yet. feel like you got to have an activity right yeah. you either have to like be watching a movie together or playing a game or something yeah. like that's what i feel like makes it tough to just kind of sit and speak to people who would ever do that i don't know that's kind of really bizarre if you ask me it's really strange i can't believe we're doing it right now <laughs> um <laughs> that's that's cool well happy birthday to all of your friends and family thank you born in april or otherwise <laughs> what are we talking about today cody well as we mentioned on the last uh, episode we are going to be talking about aaron sorkin written films and social network was going to be a guaranteed so we will be talking mm-hmm. about social network and then we're going to go probably the most famous movie that he's written i would say uh yeah i would agree and then we're going to go into what was the instagram winner of the uh, week as well which ended up being how many votes did that get i think there was a total of about maybe 10 votes of people who actually kind of participated in the poll oh, that's that's pretty good i hope all 10 of them listen to the episode so i don't know but uh molly's game ended up winning <laughs> could have been an accidental click but molly's game won so molly's game was the instagram winner versus uh and it's Moneyball. a it's a good pick it was molly's game against moneyball yeah. so. both great films oh no it was against steve jobs because i hadn't seen steve jobs so Ah, it was Molly's got game. it. Anyways, I enjoyed the social network of Molly's game so much, and that's why we're recording on a later date. That I said, screw it, I'm gonna rewatch Moneyball, and I'm gonna watch Steve Jobs. So we will be talking about both of those as well. 
Yeah, so really what it is is we're talking about Aaron Sorkin written films since 2010. So so the last decade of films that he's written. Um, because he has some other ones from before that, but those were harder to find. And uh, we thought four movies was probably more than enough. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. You ready to get into it, Cody? You know what? I am ready to get into it, Evan. Let's do it, baby. Cody, so you mentioned it off the top here. We're talking about Aaron Sorkin and uh, films that he's written. So Sorkin is kind of well-known as one of the premier film writers in in Hollywood. He's um, written, of course, all these movies that we're uh, talking about here, Social Network. We're going to talk about Moneyball. We're going to talk about Steve Jobs. And we're going to talk about a movie he wrote and directed, Molly's Game. Um, but he also wrote Charlie Wilson's War which is a little less popular, but uh, A Few Good Men with, um, uh, who's in that, Tom Cruise? And uh, that one's uh, pretty well known. So, I mean, this guy knows how to write a film really well. So we're going to talk about that. And we kind of wanted to break it down into sort of the elements that make Aaron Sorkin's writing interesting. So this is just going to kind of be one big segment here where we talk about the four movies we're talking about and what they represent the best of in Sorkin's writing. Did you have any any thoughts though? First of all, like nothing specific to one movie necessarily, but that you enjoyed about Sorkin's writing. Yeah, I liked. Obviously, true stories are kind of like an instant draw for me when I like want to watch something. Um, so that's interesting because all of these are actually based off of uh, real people and that's real events. Yeah, they're all biopics, so, more or less. Yeah, drama. But uh, I know there's some exaggeration and all that to the whole truth and all that, but it, it's interesting because it feels like you capture the essence of these people and it, you, you feel connected. Like they, he throws you in and it just feels natural and it feels real. And it's just like, man, if I like met this person in real life, this is kind of like the depiction that he brings to you that you'd be like, that's how that person might be in real life. And I found that very kind of interesting. So... I mean, off the top. Yeah, that's an interesting point because a lot of biopic movies kind of get weighed down by just trying to show you like what all of these people did. Yeah. And these movies are more like who was this person like as a person, right? And of course, none of the people in this, even though they're based on real people, are actual they're they're a character in a movie. And so Sorkin does a really good job of writing these characters to feel natural and feel compelling in ways that maybe even the person themselves isn't. He kind of adds that element, that cinematic element to it. So I, I usually don't really like biopics. I'm not necessarily opposed to true stories or anything like that. But I mean, I I don't know. I'd rather see something cinematic, see a, an original story than just have you run through the accomplishments of a certain person. Yeah, But in this case, like this is a perfect combination of the two. It's boiling down somebody to their most like relatable and understandable form and telling an interesting story about 
what they did. Correct. So I, I think that's interesting. And we're going to start with The Social Network, a movie that I think people recognize a lot for its dialogue, uh, obviously directed by the great David Fincher. Um, so you know it's going to be quality coming from behind the camera as well. But one thing that I think The Social Network does is it exemplifies the dialogue that Sorkin's able to write. And, and it's evident in every movie, but there's just such a snappy, pacey element to the way Sorkin's characters talk to each other. And I don't think there's another movie that exemplifies it quite as well as the very beginning of The Social Network when, um, when Zuckerberg is talking to his girlfriend at the beginning of the uh, movie, Erica, played by Rooney Mara, and uh, you want to talk about that scene, Cody? Because I know you mentioned it in our notes here. Yeah, it's just it was. I hadn't seen the Social Network probably in about. I, I feel like I saw it the year it came out, of course, uh, which was uh, 2010 when it was released. I don't know if I've actually watched it since then, so it's very interesting to watch that again. And I kind of forgot about the opening <laughs> scene, and when I rewatch, like just when it throws you like right there, and you're just like, "What's going on?" And then just it was so like uh, like you said, it, it just sets a pace for the entirety of the movie. You're not necessarily sure exactly what's going on. Um, but it, it's just funny and it's like this, you know, they're basically breaking up cause he's basically being a dick to her and stuff. And, um, it, it, you're right. It sets a pace. It sets a tone for the entirety of the film as it progresses. And you're just like, okay, now I understand like the reasoning behind the opening scene as much as it may not have been needed. It is needed. Um, and I think that's another thing that Aaron Sorkin does really well. I, I know he gets a lot of backlash for, having maybe too much dialogue and some of it run on and some of it not make sense. And for me, I think almost all of it works in every one of his films to where it's just, it's funny, it's ironic. And I, you know, I enjoy it actually tremendously when you sit down and watch these films, that they're not these straightforward biopics of all these individuals that are going to be discussed. So, um, yeah, you hit on a lot of it in that right there. Um, but I think what happens in that opening scene is, Basically, like you said, Zuckerberg's just being a dick, and Jesse Eisenberg plays it perfectly, but you understand that Erica is this like well-meaning, just lovely girl, and Zuckerberg is just this guy who's so self-absorbed that he doesn't even realize that what he's doing is hurting her, and it's almost an encapsulation of the whole movie, right? Yeah. Where, where Zuckerberg acts in his own interest, and he's clearly a genius, but at the same time, like people hate him. Like he doesn't have any friends, right? I think Eduardo says that at one point that he's his only friend because it's true. And you can see it in that first sequence as to why, where he's so concerned about what fraternity he's going to get into. And I think he talks about his like SAT scores at one point or something. Yeah, it was- and it's just like so gutting, but you know exactly who this guy is by the time that sequence ends. And it, it's really an impressive piece of dialogue work because, again, you get to know these characters, everything that you need to know about them without it ever explicitly being said that, like, oh, yeah, Zuckerberg, he's he's a jerk. And although I do think Erica kind of ends with, like, I'm breaking up with you because you're a dick or something like that. And thus uh, the, the dating app or whatever. Not the dating app, but the hot or not game was invented. De- definitely not a dating app. Yeah. But I guess we should mention that in case anyone isn't aware, which hopefully you are at this point, the social network is about the life of uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, from his college days at Harvard and 
how he went on to develop not only the Facebook, but Facebook and having to deal then with the personal and legal complications from this creation, which we know is a successful social networking app or website uh, to this day. So just in case you want a little background on the movie, there it is. There's my synopsis. Now, now people know what the social network is about. Uh, What, what do you think about the movie as a whole beyond just the, the dialogue? What works about this movie for you? Um, It, the, in what way? I want like a, and what w- talk about it what do you what do you think about the movie <laughs> well the dialogue of course works really well um right it's interesting to use the dialogue in a way that like he is a dick because the pr- problem that i have with all of these movies i guess is it's so hard to know what is fiction and what's non-fiction um but he does david fincher obviously writes a script that like I said, if you were to meet these people... Aaron Sorkin, David Fincher oh, I'm sorry. directed. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin writes these films in such a way that it's like, okay, if I met, you know, Zuckerberg, this is how he'd be, and he'd be like, right off the bat, like, you're a dick, and you don't know that for sure. Um, obviously, to some extent, I'm sure he is kind of, because he's so smart and all that, whatever. Anyways, what worked for me, I guess, was the the humor in the dialogue, like I said. Uh, some of it seemed to be ranting on, like, when he walks into that party or whatever, and he, like, mentions, like... I can't look at that anymore. Let's get out of here. It was, I don't know, some type of picture of the uh, Niagara Falls or something. And, oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, like Hawaiian yeah. night or something. He's like, or... that's not even there. And he's like, I, I can't stare at that any longer or whatever. And he gets out. Um, the one scene I think that sticks out the most for me and the way it was shot was the the club scene um, later on down in the movie with uh, Justin Timberlake which, by the way, was also phenomenal in this movie. Maybe one of his best roles, if not his best role. Uh, who does he play in that movie, right? Sean Parker, I believe. Yep, he plays Sean Parker. But, yeah, the, the way that was shot was very like interesting, and the way they're talking about it, the Victoria's Secret model and all that kind of stuff um, was interesting. All the shots where they kind of focused in on him in these various settings of so many people being around him were just very... Uh, inviting and i don't know like the score and stuff and all that it just they try and set this world around you and yet still focus on him and uh i liked it i mean it's hard to not talk about it like what did you like about the movie other than the dialogue because that's 90 percent of movies on why you watch them um and the quirkiness and the way that you know jesse eisenberg was cast into this role just you know works so perfectly the way andrew garfield was cast into this role and you know it was it just seems like all of the roles in general of who was scripted into being the actor actresses that were played were just kind of perfect for what the script had written for them. And obviously that's the point of any movie. So um, and just, all, yeah, it all just you, seemed to you make a great point. No. Yeah. It's, it's great. And you mentioned it with a lot of these actors that um, kind of came onto the scene here. I mean, it was other than Jesse Eisenberg, pretty much every main character in this movie, this was their first major film role. And so Rooney Mara had done a few movies. Andrew Garfield had done a couple movies. Army Hammer, I think, might have done one or two. But they were, like, small, independent things. This was the first time that they were on, like, the big screen in a big studio movie. And it basically launched the careers of, like, Andrew Garfield, who went on to be Spider-Man. Army Hammer, who's, like, in everything now. Like, he's just, like, in basically any indie movie that you can think of. And Rooney Mara as well, who I don't think Rooney Mara's had necessarily like a huge movie role since then, but she's been in a lot of 
things, and she's been really good in them. She's been in a lot of uh, movies with her partner, Joaquin Phoenix, and, like, this was just that movie that sort of introduced to the world this new generation of actors, and they're just so good, and they delivered the lines that Sorkin wrote so crisply that, like, you couldn't help but be in awe at what they accomplished there. Um, this movie is just like a blast. It covers such a long span of time, but it also stays focused on what it needs to. It's um, and it's it just when you boil it down, though, it's just like a bunch of petulant rich kids who like are arguing with each other about something that like none of them realize is going to change the world until uh, much later in the movie. Yeah, right and every character ends up getting just like eviscerated in it like they all are just scum by the end of it except maybe eduardo and if they ever made a a social network too i don't know that it would be quite as kind to um to eduardo's character based on sort of like the trajectory that facebook's gone on but that's sort of something i wanted to talk about with regards to this movie as well is like, how is it held up? Because this movie landed on a lot of people's best of the decade list yeah. when uh, when people were doing that after 2019. And it's almost 10 years old now. It probably came out uh, towards the end of the year in, uh, in 2010. But looking at it now, like, seeing what Facebook has become, does it hold up, you think? Because I think, it, to me at least, the movie is it's pretty insightful into like the psyche of zuckerberg and what sort of drove him like the face mash thing is real like that happened um so like it does sort of understand that he's not always been the best guy right but i don't even think that like fincher or sorkin could have predicted what facebook would become and the way it would sort of overtake our society in the way that it did and launched this whole sort of social network bubble and the ways that Facebook specifically has sort of undermined a lot of institutions in the world as well and been, I mean, you can argue, I guess, its effects, positive or negative. I tend to think that Facebook's had a pretty destructive influence on the world, um, especially of late, but like they couldn't predict that. So you can't really blame the film for that. But how do you think it holds up I think it holds with up. what we know now and where we are. I now. think it holds up even better now, personally. Um, as I said, the realism of this movie possesses, you know, as the years go by, it's going to feel like some type of documentary for uh, Mr. Zuck there. And, you know, Facebook has become a powerhouse, whether it's good or bad. Obviously, it hasn't been shed in the best light as of late, for sure. Um, but, you know, Zuck's had a lot of influence in the world, and he has a lot of influence in the world today. And, you know, he can pretty... He, you know, he helped bring change and optimism to, you know, just, you know, when we get into these other movies into what the tech industry is and what it could be. And, you know, tech, uh, same way, any type of tech can be good and any type of tech can be bad. And I like that, you know, in 10 years from now, I know there was a scene in the movie that kind of had Bill Gates get mentioned. And, you know, that might be, you know, another movie where we see another tech, you know, you know, billionaire or whatever it might be. A movie or documentary made about him and you know Zuck's the one in it so you know Zuck Zuck I think is a powerful character in the realm of tech as a whole and of course the tech savvy uh, world that we've become today so it, it holds up I think very well like I said I had seen it when it first came out in 2010 yeah Facebook was what launched in 2002 I want to say 
maybe i'm not 100 percent sure when it was could launched. be yeah i'm, I'm but, not sure i wasn't too involved with uh but i mean facebook or being online yeah, that me, much back then me neither so but yeah it it led to a lot of other social networks and stuff of course that you know we deal with today with the whole uh, instagram and twitter and all that so you can't help but think instagram owned by facebook yeah but um Lost my train of thought now because yeah. you interrupted me. Sorry, I, did, I didn't mean to distract but like you. Snapchat, yeah, I, I mean, I TikToks now coming yeah. around. Like, I'm just saying, there's all these social networks that I think, not saying they wouldn't have been invented without Facebook already being there, um, but Facebook was a stepping stone. He, he brought up a good line in the movie that I'm going to actually reference. If you would have had the idea for Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. Um, and I think that is 100% true. And I, I can't even argue that point. I, it's, it's very, like you said, it's very condescending in the way, like he says it in the movie, the way he might have said it in real life or whatever. And you think about it, and to me, like, that is 100% nothing farther from the truth. If you would have had the idea for Facebook, you would have invented Facebook, and that could be for anything. So that's why I think, you know, he, he had an idea, whether it was kind of stolen or not, he's still the one who invented Facebook. And it, you know, it just holds up through all you know the ten years of when this film had originally come out. So, I th- I think you could make that argument for Army Hammer's characters, the Winklevoss twins, mm-hmm. and you could make that argument for Max Minghella's, uh character, who I don't remember what his name was in that movie, but he's kind of with that group. Yeah. But like the way sort of Eduardo gets like knifed in that movie, I don't know if that's necessarily applicable to him okay um but yeah i mean i i think it it holds up because at a time when it probably would have been a lot easier to be very generous to mark zuckerberg as a character it really turned the screws and and looked under the hood and saw that like yeah maybe he accomplished something that changed the world and he did like he created something or had a huge hand in creating something that did change the world but i think the film understood that that doesn't make zuckerberg a good guy right being this great inventor or creator or something doesn't make you necessarily a force for good and i do think that's sort of why it holds up as well as it does because i I think if it was sort of this glowing portrait of mark zuckerberg people would watch it now and be like the the guy that ran the company that stole all of our data and like you know like go down the line there's been a whole bunch of stuff with facebook but i i think in that sense it does really work because it understands that these people are all kind of dicks and that that applies to again like the winklevoss twins and and every basically everyone in the movie and for me i think that's sort of why it holds up yeah I mean, just like anything in life, and, when money gets into the picture and all that, and like you said, even at the time, they're arguing about what money Facebook was going to make and how much it makes now, so, you know, that destructive influence. And it's hard, though. You know what's cooler than being a millionaire? A billionaire. <laughs> Jeez. Or what's cooler than a million dollars? I don't I don't remember how it goes exactly, but yeah, but even, like, it's not even that, though, right? It's not just money, because at the beginning, he's he's just trying to get revenge on his girlfriend. Right. So like just something at the core of this character in the movie, at least, and it based on all available evidence, probably the person, um, there is sort of just this like vindictive self-preservation element to this guy. And I think this movie captures that really well 
and the way things have played out, I think you're right. I think it probably does play better now yeah. than it ever did um, back well, in 2010. It definitely captures it because I'll tell you what, one thing right now, and I think we both agree to this, is when you hear the social network, when you hear Facebook and you see a face for who is behind Facebook, I don't even think of you know Mark Zuckerberg or see his face. I see Jesse Eisenberg's face. So, Right. That's how like iconic <laughs> yeah. this movie is. And uh, I, I think that's changed maybe a slight bit since like Zuckerberg's had to testify before Congress and people have like seen his face out in the world. But definitely like Jesse Eisenberg is sort of that like, oh, yeah, that's um, that's uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yep. And it hasn't been like a huge hindrance to Jesse Eisenberg's career either. Like he still gets a lot of roles and stuff. So he's not like typecast necessarily in that way. Yeah. But any other uh, thoughts you had about the um the social network before we uh hop on over to moneyball no i just like the scene too where he talks about the marlin and the trout in the in the lake and that was pretty funny too like i said it's just it was very witty some of it didn't even make sense like even when you hear it and stuff like what like the like yeah we want to be the marlin above like no one goes into a house and they have 10 you know trout hanging above their mantle no they have the five thousand pound marlin and you know later in the movie andrew garfield goes Marlin, eat fucking trout or whatever. And, it, you know, it's that witty little banter that gets added in these films. Mm-hmm. that just, like I said, as much as it might not serve that much of a purpose to the biopic of this character, like you, like we already kind of mentioned, of course, um, it does definitely serve to the irony, to the, you know, humor and, you know, fun behind the film that I've at least come to enjoy in all four of these films, but in that one in particular. So it's just kind of like Somebody dialogue wrote like it that. somewhere. Yeah, someone wrote somewhere, I think it was like Matt Singer of Screen Crush in his review said something about like Timberlake because that was the scene with Timberlake, right? Where Eduardo was just like frustrated. And basically when they cast Timberlake, they got this guy that looked, you know, ever so slightly like Jesse Eisenberg with the curly hair and everything. It's just a little bit taller, right? And it it sets the stage perfectly for um, Zuckerberg wanting to be Sean Parker, like envisioning himself in sean parker and like that's when the switch really flips entirely where he's just like on this path to be this influential person to like do whatever it takes right is because he sees sean parker who is undoubtedly like a bad influence on him uh in this film but he wants so badly to have that life that it it sort of comes back to bite him and I, I thought that was a an interesting observation that I would uh, I would share here. Yeah, no, I'd watch it again, and I'd probably pick up on another four or five different things of dialogue or whatever that you know is even funnier the next time around. So uh, there's there's a huge rewatchability factor in this movie, and I highly recommend if you haven't seen it for whatever reason that you you do go out and take some time. It's on uh, Netflix, I believe, right? It is on Netflix. Yeah, it's part of the reason we uh, we're doing this whole episode <laughs> is because. Social Network, Steve Jobs, and Molly's Game are all on uh, Netflix, so you can watch them. Yeah. If uh, any of them sound interesting and you haven't seen them before, they're all uh, quite good. But we're going to talk about a movie that's not on Netflix next because it represents another piece of Sorkin scripts that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, it's not entirely there in the Social Network. There's maybe elements of it, but definitely in the next three movies that we're going to talk about, you get an exploration of how you can create, I don't want to say necessarily victory, but like success maybe out of failure, 
right? Failing doesn't all, we hear it all the time, right? Like failure is the best teacher and all of that sort of thing, right? And that's written into a lot of the movies that uh, Sorkin's written. And Moneyball is a really good example of this because, spoiler alert to real history, I guess, is that all of this this goes on, uh, everything that happens in Moneyball, which Cody's going to describe in a second, doesn't culminate in the ultimate success for Billy Bean personally, but it does create, that failure does create a success overall. So why don't you tell uh, people a little bit about Moneyball? All right, so here we go. Continuing the tradition of describing plots, Moneyball is about, like you said, so it's about Billy Bean. He is the GM of the Oakland A Athletics, which is a baseball team, um, and him having to compile the 2002 Oakland A's on basically a near-nothing budget after losing some very key players. I can't remember. I think it was Giambi, and there was another one, I think. Basically, yeah, it was, I think Jason Giambi, yeah. right? Placing He's the, the older one. And doing so in a way um, that is from an analytical standpoint, so numbers game, um, and using an algorithm to find kind of hidden talents in these, you know, through the scouting system, players that are overlooked because of certain situations. But when you boil it down to these players, it's done so in a numbers that actually makes them relevant to success of the overall team. So that's how I describe Moneyball. That's a good description of Moneyball. So going back to the to the point that I was just making here about success out of failure. So it is about Billy Bean, right? And he, we now know because he's no longer the GM of the A's. I think he's like an executive higher up somewhere now. He never won the World Series with uh, with the Oakland A's, nope. right? But in the end, right, this he ushered in this new era of baseball, which sort of changed the way that um, all the teams look at how they uh, they evaluate players, right? And he, he really changed the entire conversation at the major league level. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of analytics work going on outside of major league baseball at the time, but I, I think that is sort of an interesting piece of it. What do you think about that yeah. element of the movie yeah i mean obviously the one scene that you go to is how do you replace you know jason giambi at first base and you break him down to a statistical standpoint and go oh shit like he gets on base this percentage and you know when he brings in his analytic who's played by uh jonah hill by the way jonah hill. peter brand and uh we should mention to who's a made-up character yeah he's a made-up character and then we have obviously billy bean played by uh, brad pitt so he brings him in and you know he because of this whole algorithm that he had invented and he says okay what can we do and you know jonah hill goes on to describe all these things that makes a player valuable and it's like well really you just need a guy that can get on base equal to obviously his percentage and that's kind of like the breakdown and it's funny to think about he's like you know what we don't need to replace jason giambi with one player we need to think about it another way and that way is to replace him with two in this case in the movie three players who get on base equal to the amount of times he got on base because he really thinks okay how do you win baseball obviously you have to score runs to win baseball so and all that other stuff of learning to play first base and all that it, it's irrelevant basically any one person's flaws is irrelevant to the overall success of the team if the team collectively can do what they need to do to score runs to project to win a certain amount of games to obviously make the playoffs and to win the world series and that's what you know billy bean's trying to do he just he wants to win. No one cares. You know, he he brings it up numerous amount of times that if you lose the last game, nobody cares. And 
I don't want to bring it into every sport realm, but I really think that holds true, of course, you know, over any sport is you can have the most wins, the most success, but if you don't win those last key games, nobody cares. Well, so it's funny because, yes, that's explicitly said in the film, right? But everything that the film does undermines that point, right? And it's one of the things that I think overall in the film that is so interesting is that this is a movie that specifically is trying to undermine the traditional thought around baseball or sports or whatever, right? Talking about analytics, but it also undermines the analytics side of things too, right? What the characters are saying and doing on the screen doesn't always correlate, right? So yeah, they built this analytic team on a small budget and and they had this success, right? They went on this long streak, but I mean, winning that many games in a row, it's, it's luck too, you know? Like you have to be lucky to have that happen, even though the team was probably very good anyway and so much of, of it too is this element of saying like yeah no one cares if you don't win the last game of the the season I think he says at one point if any other team wins the world series good for them they won the world series yeah but if we win we changed baseball yeah and that's but in the end they changed baseball anyway right so yes you're right about that like in sports in general and and this isn't really a sports podcast, so we don't need to get too into like what sports uh, does and doesn't do. But I think it's interesting that this film is expressing that while also saying, you know what, we did change the game, even though we didn't win the last game of the season. Yeah, because everyone was of course against him. Like he had like his you know lead scout, um, and he's like, you know, Billy, I've been doing this for twenty nine years, and you're gonna take this kid out of school who's invented an algorithm doesn't know a damn thing about baseball and listen to him and you know that just it makes no sense and obviously you see the failures kind of at the very beginning and obviously uh i think the manager is played by uh art Howe. i want to say the you're talking the about manager um, oh yeah philip seymour hoffman yeah. plays him yeah and he obviously has a team that's put in front of him that he doesn't see the visionary of what's going on so he plays the team in a way that isn't to this algorithm you see all this losing and then you get to a point where it's like okay i traded all the assets away you have to play the team the way this algorithm is set up and he starts to see success and you're right it's weird because in this whole movie this is obviously true the oakland eighth athletic get to 20 wins in a row which is the all-time record in baseball to have 20 wins in a row and it is such an element especially in baseball i'd have to agree with this an element of luck you're right like statistics plays no factor at that point you win 20 games in a row i don't even like i like math i obviously use math as an engineer here i couldn't even you can't write that dude you can't write an algorithm that's going to tell you oh yeah i'm going to win 20 games in a row the algorithm will tell you that you're not going to win 20 games in (laughs) a row like it's it's statistically very very unlikely correct so um it's just it's such a good movie dude and my favorite scene in this whole movie is when they're going through uh, the trade deadline scene and they're in the room and Jonah Hill has his Oakland A's hat on and he does his little power move when he gets the trade to go. It's so funny and it's so good. It's so witty and it's just so enjoyable. It's one of Brad Pitt's uh, better performances too, I think. And and Jonah Hill is great yeah. as well. I, I do like some of the things that I do really like about this movie on just like a side note as well. So both of the Giambi brothers went to the same high school that I did. So their names are up like in the gym everywhere and they're like 
big like local legends kind of thing so it was funny to see like jeremy giambi portrayed in the in the locker room like that which like by all accounts that's the way he was (laughs) but it's just sort of like funny like having that experience of going to school where they did and like seeing their name up everywhere and stuff um just kind of funny but i the thing i like too and you see this a lot in sorkin written films too is this like what drives each of these people um because again these are all biopics right and we just talked about the social network and how zuckerberg sort of driven by this like heartbreak but also by wanting to be included wanting to feel like he has control over that situation right and this one is sort of about billy bean trying to like grapple with his inability to be a player when everything said that he should have been a player you know and he gets into management and tries to figure out how he would how he won't make the same mistake that the scouts made in making him an early selection in the draft right like that's sort of what it's all about for him is finding a way that he can yeah yeah because on paper and you know his stats and his appearance and all that it looked perfect to all the scouts who have been doing this for years and you know they bring it up in the movie where this character is overlooked because he's overweight you know but he gets walked a lot so obviously you know jonah hill like brings up these things and that's actually probably important to know but like i'll finish you know he they brought in that pitcher because you know and he's undervalued because he pitches weird or he, he looks funny and these scouts look at these things and they weigh heavy factors on you know who's going to be successful and sometimes the picture perfect you know person which in this case was billy bean um is not the case so yeah you're right um and that end scene was great when you know they talk about the guy who you know the anomaly like oh he only gets walks and he only gets base hits and the anomaly of it all at the very end of the movie is he had hit the ball did something he never thought he was going to do which was going to go for a double stumbles you know his worst fear comes true he stumbles over first base as he's running and he falls and he you know tries to get back up and get back to first all in all this entire time he had done something he'd also never done which was hit a home run so you know it it, it's yeah and that's that that just makes it so that is tangible and stuff and you know at the end it's like yeah statistics it it changed it changed the game of baseball of course for sure um but you know that scene you brought up is it kind of brings me to the to the last point that i wanted to make um on this one which is that it's sort of the the way i put it is like the anti-sports sports movie like all all these sports movies are about like overcoming the odds and like you know this team banding it like miracle right overcoming this great challenge of beating the russians and stuff right and it's always this like uplifting feel good band together and be better than than you are kind of thing it always is like the intangible element of sports and this movie is sort of the opposite of that it's saying like let's get that intangible element away from this team and what we do is we find success by by looking at at facts and figures and things that can be quantified and it works but at the same time in doing so it sort of rips apart this idea of intangibles not mattering because that scene you just described at the end, right? Yeah. That's why people love sports. That's why people love baseball, yep. right? How can you not be romantic about baseball is what Billy Bean says at the end there. And it's true, right? You see that and like that is, the, that's like sportsmanship. That's the kind of thing that draws people into athletic competition. And 
in the end, that's sort of what matters. That's why like we've been going on here for a month or so without any sports, right? And people miss it because of that very intangible element. It's not always about success and winning, even though that's the ultimate goal, right? And this film sort of takes that, right? They've built this successful team and come to like realize that yeah, they didn't win it all, right? But they had that massive win streak and like they filled the build the um the Coliseum and it's it's just sort of exciting to see like the run that they go on even if it didn't amount in yeah. a World Series. At least like you kind of understood like wow, this is why all of this matters anyway. Yeah, and the understanding of his character again with Sorkin's writing is just you know, you you they, he puts little elements of obviously his early days, his early playing day, you know, before, you know, you realize he's like a big failure in terms of the numbers and his statistics say. Um, and just putting in that little element is just enough to get this background to build up why he's doing what he's doing and understanding him as a person. And again, if you were to meet this guy in real life, this is like the person that you would see and meet. And, you know, Brad Pitt does, does such a good job with it again that, you know, if I was to meet this guy in real life, like, yeah, I think this is how exactly he would be. So um, it's interesting for that. Yeah, Billy Bean's probably excited that uh, that he got um, Brad Pitt as his <laughs> uh, cinematic stand-in. Oh, anything else you wanted to uh, touch on with Moneyball? Only, again, uh, I think I had to watch it through Stars. I do have the Stars app. Um, if you find another way of watching it, I highly recommend This is probably... I know all the films are great, but for whatever reason, this actually might be my favorite of the four, um, if I'm being honest. So find a way. You know, and, that doesn't surprise me, Cody. Yeah. So Moneyball, all I'd say is definitely watch it if you have the means to. So it's great. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the one you just watched today, the next movie that uh, Sorkin wrote after Moneyball, and that is uh, Steve Jobs, which I think is a really good representation of and we talked about it a little bit just now, the way that Sorkin likes to tear down perceptions of uh, people and things that hold significance, right? So with, you see it with Zuckerberg. He, he sort of levels Zuckerberg to just who he is as a person. Uh, you see it with, not so much with Billy Bean, but more with the institution of baseball um, in, uh, in Moneyball. And then... Uh, Steve Jobs, you see it with uh, Steve Jobs, one of the most uh, admired people of uh, of his era, at least in the tech world, yeah. right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about Steve Jobs, directed by Danny Boyle? <laughs> uh, there's not much here to this one. I, You know, it's about Steve Jobs, of course. The Now, well, obviously, he's passed away. Rest in peace, Steve Jobs. Um, but, you know, the CEO of Apple before he was the CEO of Apple. Anyways, product launch dates of, I believe it was the Macintosh, uh, Next, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the first iMac. So in in all three of these product launch dates, so they break up the movie into these, like, three separate, like, segments. It, it's honestly like like a play. Like, there's three acts. Yeah, it's very theatrical. Very, very theatrical. And it's just these three acts of these three product launches um, and kind of him dealing with, you know the developers the you know ex-ceo and current ceo of apple i played by jeff daniels at the time uh john scully and then uh his own daughter uh who's the daughter in the movie well i know she's played by three different people. she's played by like three different i don't know the real daughter yeah name. lisa lisa's her name yeah, lisa there we go thank you uh and just kind of dealing with 
you know, all of these people all at once in a matter of kind of just minutes before he's supposed to go on stage and do these product launches. So it's just interesting. Yeah, and that's sort of what the movie is. I I think it's pretty... I, it's well written. That's the thing I'll say about it, right? And I think <laughs> basically anyone, and I mean, like, obviously that's not saying much we're talking about. Um, we're doing a whole podcast about the guy that wrote the movie. So, uh, you know, that it is what it is. But when you look at it, I think a lot of people, when they saw this movie, right, they talked about it. I saw a lot of reviews that basically said this is a script on screen. Like, that's basically what it is. It's It's very bare bones, right? It's not the, it's not really dressed up in a lot of ways, and in the ways that it is, and this is this is where I'll get into like the Danny Boyle of it all. It's it's given like these flourishes that feel out of place, and it just I don't know. I feel like this movie had the wrong director, and not that like Danny Boyle is a bad director. He obviously did um, Slumdog Millionaire, um, Train Spotting, Yesterday, which is a movie I actually kind of liked from last year, but like all of the flourishes he brings don't really work but i do think that it is compelling at least in the way that like fastbender portrays steve jobs and kate winslet portrays his uh i don't even know what you call her necessarily <laughs> but his like assistant i think he calls her his like work, work wife, wife yeah. at one point but they play off each other really well their dialogue is great and it's interesting in that it boils down Steve Jobs to kind of just like, yeah, I mean, like this guy was just kind of a shitty dad. That's sort of what this movie's about. It's about Steve Jobs being a shitty dad. And um, more than that, though, too, it's it's this visionary, because that's what Steve Jobs was, right? We all sort of recognize that he had this like grand vision of, of what technology should be to people. And he was very uncompromising in that. But in so many ways, like he couldn't, he like he had the big big picture, but he couldn't see the the I don't know how to put it, like the nitty gritty maybe of any situation, right? And you see that early in the film when um, Lisa's mom, I can't remember, it's like Catherine Brennan or something, I I don't remember, but she shows up to ask for some money, and he's just like, oh well, I'm donating all of this all of these computers to schools. I'm donating all this money to to kids and and schools and stuff, and she's just like, "This is your daughter, and you you're not helping her," and it, it's just like encapsulates what this movie really is is like this guy who had this grand vision for what technology and what the world could be, but he couldn't get out of his own way in terms of like looking at the how to get there, right, the path to get there, and looking at the individual elements that went into it all he could see was the the big picture vision yeah this, which i think is like the interesting part of this movie they do round him out at the end of this one too different than i think the social network did um they kind of give him like this redemption quality i'd have to say too because the whole movie he's also a dick just like obviously uh, jesse eisenberg in the social network but there's there's some type of redeeming quality i feel like not not quite as much of a dick but yeah yeah and yeah he is the big picture guy um it's, it's, I haven't really sat with this one yet. I literally watched this about an hour before we did the podcast, so it's hard for me to collect my thoughts at the moment. Um, but it, it was just... I don't know, man. I don't know how this one... Like, this was probably my least favorite of the four, and it was because it was just felt like a script thrown out on screen, and they're kind of just reading it and going with the flow. 
what I do like about the movie, I will say, is I think everyone that was cast again is great. I, you know, I never knew that uh, Seth Rogen could be so serious he, as he plays uh, Steve Wozniak. Um, yeah, and he was pretty yeah, good I too. Seth, that was probably like, you know, his best performance from a serious standpoint to say like, hey, this guy can actually like act kind of thing. I know he does a lot of funny roles and stuff. Um, and I don't know Danny Boyle that much, of course, as a director uh, outside of the uh, Slumdog Millionaire. But maybe maybe that was the you know because it's directed by him and the way he directed it was the same. But it just felt like everything was just over dramatic, like you said, like or like I mentioned, it's a play and the score behind all three of these settings and these three different product launches, like it just adds this dramatic element that I'm like, yeah, I like I hear you, I I kind of get it, but like I don't think it's needed, I guess. So I just I didn't care for the way that this one was laid out as much as the other three. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It, it didn't flow quite as well based like with that three act structure where it's, I mean, pretty much every movie follows sort of like a first, second, third act, but this is just so rigidly segmented where it's just like, all right, this is the Macintosh launch. That's act one. Act two is sort of like the redemptive arc of it all right and then act three is sort of this resolution where everything finally comes together for um for jobs and it doesn't feel like there's necessarily anything left out in between but it just it feels like you don't get the time to sort of sit with any of these characters and who they are like you do in some of these other films where it's everything is just so frantic he's running from one place to the next and there's all of these people that are coming in and wanting to talk to him and it it all has this sort of element of sameness to it from uh, one act to the next, but there's also just like no time to ground yourself in who these different people are. And I, I think you mentioned it too. Like it is sort of similar in a sense to like the social network with this big tech icon that um, had some less redemptive qualities, but I do think that comes around in the end like you mentioned where uh jobs gets to have sort of this moment where he he does let go of the big picture yeah for a minute and, right and that- when he's up on the roof with his daughter he gets it he finally comes around and says what he needs to say and does what he needs to do and puts his family before his um his big picture vision yeah the third act was the best and only because yeah, everything does become full circle, big picture, and you're like, oh, okay. And little heartwarming moments at the very end, of course, too. Um, but because you don't get grounded in the first two acts, it just, you know, there's no, yeah, there's no grounding of these characters to feel the way you did in these other three movies where you get grounded in the character. Even with his little, like, back, like I said, you already feel like you've been thrown in these situations, right? Every one of these movies starts out in a situation where you don't, he doesn't just paint you a pretty picture in terms of uh, Aaron Sorkin. This is. He doesn't like paint you a pretty picture in, oh, and this was his upbringing, and this is you know how they got to this point in their life. You know, that's very. And you figure that out. Yeah, along you the figure way. that out along the way, and I I like that element. But in this one, because there's maybe it's because of the amount of characters that they tried to bring in or what, you just don't get grounded in any of them. Steve Jobs himself, in particular. Uh, obviously when it's supposed to be about him you just you don't feel it as much in this one as you do the other three um and that's why i was just until it gets to that third act and you know honestly the final 20 minutes you know i wasn't really 
I wasn't sold on this, and then, you know, oh, okay, now I get it or whatever, and, you know, you feel a little better about him at the end of the day and stuff, so. Um, yeah, it feels like you don't really get any resolution in any of those acts either because it's all of this backstage stuff before he goes out on stage, and then it cuts before you get to see any part of, like, that iconic presentation uh, style that Steve Jobs had. You don't necessarily get really any of that. It's just all of the shuffling backstage each time and, and there's just not a resolution until the end when you know obviously like what apple goes on to do and the things they create but before that like you don't get any of that resolution with the macintosh you just get them in sort of like cutscenes in between and you don't get sort of the fallout of like the next box or whatever it it was that he was peddling yeah. in between right but you only get that in the third act because you know where the story goes from there. It's just, I don't know, it's not quite as satisfying yeah. as uh, some of these other movies, yeah. definitely. Did you have anything else you wanted? This can be a, a short one because uh, I think there's a little less to grapple <laughs> with in uh, in Steve Jobs than these other movies. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to add. Obviously, it's on Netflix, so you know, if you're following along at this point, you might as well watch it, but... For me personally, I, I would not recommend it to be your first watch. And that's all I really got to say. That's fair, I think. And, you know, Sorkin's kind of famous for working with big-time directors, right? So we talked about The Social Network, which uh, was directed, of course, by uh, David Fincher. And then Moneyball, which was directed by Bennett Miller, who um, is at least Oscar-nominated for... I think like Foxcatcher or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, um, Danny Boyle is um, a big-time director, even though, again, I didn't think it worked great for Steve Jobs. Um, he's worked with a lot of big-time directors, right? And so after Steve Jobs, he writes Molly's Game, uh, and the studio wants him to direct it himself. So I, I think that Molly's Game sort of, encapsulates all of these elements we talked about a lot of the movies kind of encapsulate a lot of these elements of his writing of course but uh why don't you tell everyone what molly's game is and then we can get into some of that all right so i actually before he told me to even watch this i knew nothing about it either but uh so it's about a woman named molly bloom who was at the time an aspiring olympic athlete for skiing and kind of had a wipeout that kind of turned her focus on becoming a lawyer but she took some time off, I think it was a year, before she went to law school. And uh, during that time off, she kind of got a job as an office assistant. And from that job, she kind of gets put into this realm of working an underground poker game and, you know, getting served these tips on the side and seeing the money and kind of just kind of being interested in it all and kind of goes on to lead her own success and fame um, by having, you know, run these underground poker games and, as the movie progresses too you realize that she's you know being you know investigated by the fbi and there's lawsuits out and stuff against her and how she kind of copes with all of it so and it's true obviously another true story and this really happened she even has a book i don't know the name of the book do you know the name of the it's book? called it's called molly's game oh it is called molly's game what a coincidence great right what a coincidence interesting how that works but, there's also a book moneyball so if anyone wants to read moneyball by michael lewis so, that exists too. Yeah. I will throw um, that in there. Um, Molly's Game was the one I didn't look into because you told me like, oh, do you know who Player X is? And I'm like, no. And you're like, don't look it up. Um, what was interesting about the other three 
uh, like I said, they, he throws these characters, Sorkin that is, he throws these characters right, and it's like, you kind of want to learn about them, so you, I kind of like Googled, like, you know, Molly Bloom, and, you know, and learned a little bit about her, at least, not obviously the whole story to ruin what you wanted to tell me about who Player X was. But, you know, you also... So you didn't look it up. You don't know who Player X is. No, and then I don't know. And then, but like I said, I looked into, like, Billy Bean a little bit. And, you know, you look into these, you know, guys and what was real and what was not real in the movie. Obviously, a movie has to progress and be entertaining. You kind of like, was, you know, Steve Jobs this big of a dick? Or, you know, was Mark Zuckerberg this big of an asshole kind of thing? And you kind of, like, try and piece together your own truth for the matter. But it was interesting because at least... Kind of and yes. Yeah. So To answer those questions. It, it's just interesting because it's like it makes you want to do your own kind of research and formulate your own opinion on these people i guess so at least for me so well let's just get into it cody i you said you didn't want to guess sure. who player x is All but right. you have no idea no i have i have no idea i, I watched the movie because he told me to and it was the one who won on instagram and i kind of just watched it and i didn't even think about you know trying to guess on any of these players were as the game went on but who is player x evan the- was it 100% is, guaranteed? Like, you know who Player X is? Like, they've come out with it? Um, I can't remember if, if he's specifically named in the book, but, like, people figured out who it, who it is. Gotcha. And um, it's, uh, it's Tobey Maguire. No. Really? Yeah, it's, it's Tobey Maguire. The, so we got another Spider-Man in the house? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I this is one of those things um, I was talking to Buddy, and... Uh, like I figured this out immediately. I was like, "Oh, that's Tobey Maguire. Cool, interesting. Tobey Maguire is a dick. Good to know." Um, <laughs> that changes the way I think of Spider-Man now, dude. Like he he's very dude. famously like into poker. He uh, he has like his own like poker group that he plays with, like Leonardo DiCaprio, and um, I think Sorkin said that like Player X is sort of like an amalgamation of all of the actors, but very specifically like in the book i guess it's like it's no this is just the one it's it's toby Maguire, and uh again he very famously plays poker <laughs> and it very famously is a huge asshole so it kind of those pieces fit together and you're like oh, okay yeah that's uh that's toby Maguire. so there's a lot of assholes. does that change how you feel about the movie no it doesn't change how i feel about the movie but maybe a little bit about toby Maguire and og spider-man there's a lot of assholes in all this that's yeah right just, that's true so, a lot of people are assholes what, so yeah. but here's what i have to say Jen, to the people listening don't be an asshole or don't no i said don't Or be a nice person i said don't be an asshole. okay oh I good okay i thought you were encouraging people to be assholes no i would never do that on air because the assholes in these movies go on to like do pretty great things yeah that's true so i guess if so, you're already an asshole start looking into what you're going to come up with next. who's the biggest winner yeah. At those uh, poker tables, Cody. It's uh, it's Tobey Maguire. Come on. Um, what do you think about the the movie overall? Uh, I really like uh, the way Molly Bloom was depicted as a badass in this. Uh, through the, obviously the narrative that she kind of gives and all this, um, like how like her what her real thoughts would have been when all of these events were like unfolding was super cool. It was super like fresh and. I thought it was just, again, another, like, witty use of, like, you know, dialogue. Um, You know, she's sitting in there and, like, oh, you know, I didn't know anything about poker. But you know what? I had a laptop, and she was smart enough just to Google everything up and, like, learn as she went. And, you know, she was that smart and, you know, that willing to kind of, like, learn and make it her own and all that. Her her conversations with Chris O'Dowd are so witty and just sharp 
at the end when he's just like drunk and trying to like hit on her and he's like my one of my favorites is he's like he's like oh it's reading some poem or something he's like oh do you like poetry and she's just like i did until just a second ago (laughs) so i mean she's just uh jessica chastin that plays her is again uh they get like the perfect cast for every one of these scripts like these are the people that you see and think of like now when i you know hear molly bloom i'm not going to see the real molly bloom i'm going to see you know jessica chastin in this role and it's so powerful that a script can mean that much and do that much um to have at least me and i'm sure hopefully like a lot of other people maybe even including yourself like do you feel the same way or yeah i mean i think that it takes a certain talent to be able to keep up with the pace of the uh the writing here like jessica chastain does have to really like deliver Mm -hmm. on these lines but i think one of the reasons why all of these movies are so well acted uh has to do with just how thoroughly written Mm -hmm. the dialogue is i I read an interview um that sorkin did about molly's game and he was talking about the scripts that he writes being generally like a script is about one page for every minute of the movie and uh sorkin's scripts are are famously much longer right so a movie like Molly's Game would normally be somewhere in like the 120 page range, but because of all the dialogue that he writes into it and and the way he writes it, it's a two hour movie, but the script is 60 pages longer. So yeah. it's you almost get like an extra hour of dialogue just squeezed into all of these movies, and I think that it has such a rhythm and flow to it that it makes these actors look good as well and of course jessica chastain's a great actress and idris elba is a great actor and um like you need that too to to keep up with it yep no i agree but like overall like the like how did you feel i know you had strong you've had strong opinions in the past about this whole narration over you know movies and stuff and how it kind of doesn't work for you does one work for you or i think it does because it's so sharp Mm -hmm. And I'll give the example of the opening sequence of this movie. And uh, before I even get into that, I'm going to throw out that, like, this movie sort of proves that Sorkin should, unless he can get David Fincher to direct his movies, he should he should be directing them himself. Because this movie is so perfectly crafted around what is, of course, a great script as well. Um, the opening sequence, right, when she's um, up on the top of the... Uh, on the top of the hill she's at the i think it's like the olympic trials or something and she's just at breakneck speed running you through yeah. the odds of different things and and how this all relates like how she basically like her back exploded and what happened with the tree branch and like all this stuff and it's just so sharp and so quick that you get her perspective on things but you also understand fundamental things about her character that you're going to need to know later on you get her intellect like you you get her wit in that scene you get her like that she's just a genius right and so i think it works really well here the way it's used because it is detailing basically like the way it plays out right is the narration is her either writing her book or relaying the story to idris elba's character there is no narration in the scenes where she's in the office or uh, in the courtroom except for the very very last bit so that like again that's just a, a direction 
that I think works where it takes part of it and narrates the story. Part of it doesn't. I know a lot of people can't get behind the narration. I don't really generally like it as a tool because I think that um, narration kind of gives away too much that people should probably be figuring out through the actual craft of the movie. But in this particular case, I think it works being that it's framed around her sort of retelling her story. You don't necessarily know how much of it's true, although morally I think uh, Sorkin stakes out that Molly Bloom is a pretty good person, so you can probably trust a lot of that narration. But again, I just think the pacing and the way it was written works for the narration. Cool. You don't have to... (laughs) You don't have to get me to agree. I already, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, dude. And I think uh, it's kind of sad, too, because I think Aaron Sorkin got a lot of backlash for this one, if I'm not mistaken, you know, being the director, of course, for the first time. Um, I don't th- I don't know that he got a ton of backlash. I mean, his screenplay was nominated for an Oscar. And yeah. Well, I know. The I, movie was generally well-received, I think. Yeah. I, I don't, it's, it's just funny because I just don't think as well as received as the other ones, at least he wrote the uh, script for. Obviously, wrote the script for this mm-hmm. one too, and directed it, and it seemed to be kind of the worst off of the of the four. So, um, I kind of find that you know, a little sad because I, wow. I really like people Molly's should game. watch it again. Then yeah, I really like Molly's game. It, You're right. It's, it's so it's, smart. Yeah, it's, it's very like smart. very. It's 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 great. I mean, like the the scenes where she's setting up these games, move at such a frantic pace, and and there's just like such an energy. That, like, this whole thing, like, because what she was doing, right, the whole thing could have fallen apart at any point, and that's sort of what the movie feels like, right? Yep. That it's all sort of being held together by, like, gum and duct tape, right? And at any moment, it could just, like, fall apart, and, and everything that she'd built could go away. And and one of the ways that I think is this is conveyed is in the score. When you see the scenes of her as a kid and her dad teaching her how to ski it's sort of this this light, hopeful, like optimistic score where you know, like, okay, she's destined to go on for great things, right? And then it moves into this world of like underground poker, and the uh, the score gets more frantic and, yeah. and sort of all over the place. And then, like, as she's getting into drugs and stuff, it, it just like the tempo picks up more and more and more until, like, finally, you get to the scenes with um, Idris Elba. And she's like fighting this legal battle, and there's basically no score. She's like off drugs now. She's clear and level headed, and there's just like a light piano score a little bit in moments. But it's like everything about this movie is just so perfectly pieced together to tell this story. The only thing that doesn't work is that conversation with her dad towards the end of the movie, where he sort of lays out exactly what happened for you in a way that I don't think you necessarily needed. That was kind of the only time that I felt Sorkin was sort of giving away the subtext. Otherwise, I think it was phenomenal. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you you can't help but root for her this entire time. And obviously, you know, you kind of wish that this is kind of the person as powerful as she kind of was in the room, obviously running these underground poker games, of how, like, sincere and naive kind of at the same time she was, not even knowing. Like, she admits, like, in the courtroom, like, no, I had no idea that these were, you know, all Russian mob bosses or whatever, and especially the underground FBI agent who's pouring his love to her and stuff. And, you know, she had no idea of all this. 
how even still, you know, she gets basically put into this corner, you know, by the courts and everything and telling her to just, you know, plead guilty and take the deals that are on the table and, you know, the book deal, of course, of, hey, give us some more names and we'll give you, you know, millions of dollars, you know, compared to like the $35,000 signing bonus she got because she only named the names of the like four Russian people that were actually already part of the, you know, uh, record and stuff. So it, it's, you can't help but like kind of root for that, that even during all of this basically shit that's going on in her life on trying to run a fair game too, uh, which was for a long time run as a successful underground poker game legally, by the way, like that it wasn't illegal until, you know, she gets into that, of course, and that's why the FBI is investigating. But like all these redemptive qualities that you kind of like would hope in a person are there and you can't help but just be like, you know what, like, I think it's kind of boiled up into that one scene t uh, pretty much with, uh, God, what's his name? The lawyer. Idris Elba's yeah, character? Yeah, when he just, when he goes off on the other two lawyers, and is like and that's a good scene yeah that that just kind of boils that whole movie down to just that one scene if you ask me when it's all said and done it's just basically saying look like this lady here is a good person you basically put her in this situation she didn't know she you know all this stuff and then at the very end of course when the judge is you know just like yeah you know what they're you know i'm in spitting distance of wall street and there's more corrupt people on wall street than what you've done so forget these charges that they're trying to get on you here's you know here's what you're going to get sentenced. And it's like basically a slap on the wrist. So um, it's just, it's just funny and ironic. And it's just like, you know, to. Yeah. Sh shout out to, to the um, unsung heroes that, that I mentioned, uh, Chris O'Dowd mm -hmm. as the um, drunk, uh, I guess he w was like an FBI informant or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Bill Camp who played uh, Harlan, who kind of just like has this epic meltdown after he loses to, to bad Brad another uh great scene. Brad, yeah that was that was funny so yeah molly's game is you know i think it really obviously going through aaron sorkin through the decade of course of kind of who he is as a writer and working with these directors and stuff to see him in his own light you know writing and directing uh his own film uh molly's game to me is it, it just shows the great success that he's had in his career and it, it doesn't fall short for me any bit so yep i'm with you there so all right well we've rounded them up cody or no it's time to round them up yeah. because we've talked about we're them. gonna go into that. that's what we need to do letterbox roundup yes letterbox roundup so let's start with the uh social network what did uh would you give this one the social network is going to get a four and a half out of five stars from me i agree four and a half out of five very nice all right let's jump over to moneyball moneyball is also going to receive four and a half out of five stars for me four and a half out of five also for me <laughs> uh steve jobs what would, would you give Stop it copy me this is one i don't think you're going to hopefully copy my bad enough steve jobs for me three out of five stars uh, i gave it the extra half star three and a half okay. i think that it is insightful enough that it's still quite good it just um doesn't reach its full potential um all right and finally molly's game molly's game back on top again four and a half out of five stars Highly same four and a half out of five so, dang we, great we movie like an all social network's very close to five stars i think social network is is probably easily the best of the movies i go social network molly's game um moneyball and then steve jobs i would i'd switch moneyball and molly's game only because i don't know i have this affiliation of course for sports and it just resonates with me a little bit more. Uh, 
I just I guess I have a more personal connection. That's the only reason. So, um, but and so hopefully we actually get to see Aaron Sorkin's new film this year, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. But who knows if movie theaters will even be open again yeah. this year? All right. To be determined, right? To be determined. And I have one last question that I have to ask during this letterbox roundup segment. Yes. Have you reached a hundred isolation watches yet, Evan? No, you know, I watched ninety. You watched and 90. uh okay. we can I've watched ninety so far and we can talk about that a little more in uh in the close. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just a little bit caught in the middle Life is a maze and love is a riddle I don't know where to go, can't do it alone I've tried and I don't know why I'm just a little girl lost in the moment I'm so scared, but I don't show it I can't figure it out, it's bringing me down I know I've got to let it go And just enjoy the show all right, Cody. So that was uh, that was quite the lengthy episode, but we talked about four really good films, or at least three really good films, and then another film that we both kind of liked. Um, how'd you feel about it? I thought it went well. You know, I honestly didn't know that much about Aaron Sorkin, and like I said, I kind of googled all of these kind of stories that he tells, and you know, try and. And now his picture. new film is a uh, is a much watch. Uh, yeah, must watch. What is the new film again? Trial of the Chicago Seven. It's uh, it's about riots that took place uh, outside of the Democratic National Convention uh, in 1968. Um, we don't need to get necessarily into the whole history about that, but it was um, a very controversial decision that happened uh, at that convention, and uh, it's the story about some of the people that were arrested uh, outside in the riots. Very cool. So. Very cool. So. Should be should be interesting. Actually, like the cast is kind of interesting. Joseph Gordon Levitt's in it. Um, let me see who else. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, who of course is in the Fantastic Beasts movie. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I mean, seems interesting. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be good. Um, with that, we mentioned uh, what else do we have to mention? So yeah, you can follow my um, isolation watch list. Uh, that we just mentioned. I'm up to 90 uh, films. What I'm doing right now is working through my second director marathon of the um, of the year. So earlier I did uh, Sophie, uh, Sofia Coppola, and uh, now I'm watching all of the Wes Anderson movies in anticipation of the French Dispatch. So uh, you can follow along on my letterbox at EvanD26. Um, what else uh, should the people know, Cody? Well, I guess they should know where to follow me. You know, just you can't just shout out yourself and then not throw it to me and say, "Hey, shout out yourself, Cody." So, all you right, could... so we're gonna cut back from Cody now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I don't have an isolation watch list. I have not watched as many movies as Evan, but you can also find me at Letterbox at DJ Rote. So we do. You got to get to to log in your movies, Cody. Did you even log? Uh, I haven't logged. I want portrait. No, I logged Portrait. Before I have it logged were all the Aaron Sorkin movies, and I wanted to watch all four before I logged them on Letterboxd and stuff. So I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. All right. Uh, the other two movies I watched, I think, during this last week since the last podcast, I rewatched The Zombie Lands for some funsies. Um, for funsies. Because uh, Portrait's not on your uh, on your list here. It should be. I'll double check while you're looking I'm, at I'm it. I'm looking at it right now. All right. Anyway. All right, so you watch the Zombie Lands? So that's exciting. That's about it, man. That, that's my letterbox right. roundup. I only watch the Zombie Lands. What? By the way, though, Woody Harrelson is. 
underrated underrated actor i think so he was so good in zombie land and you can't help but laugh so yeah all right and well with that you can also follow us on uh pretty much any social media platform at spinning the real and we are available on uh, just about every podcasting platform too so give us a follow say hello let us know how you're handling uh how you're handling the uh, isolation, the quarantine, the stay at home, whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it. And on that note, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm.